Hello, I'm Paulette Lee, and you're listening to Woman Worthy, real talk about real issues for women over 60. If you're over 60, you're still worthy of being heard. I am so disappointed. For the third time, I've had to cancel a trip to Iran because of COVID, or at least that's the reason the tour company is giving it. It could be because of the state of the world, I don't know. But it's a country and a culture I really want to know more about, so I'll keep on trying. I've been traveling for more than 50 years and been to more than that many countries, but here's a disclaimer, don't ask me about packing. I am a terrible packer. You'd think by now I'd have learned, but I'm always either packing too much or forgetting something essential. You can find out more about how to pack by doing your own research. That's not what this podcast is about. Though I do recommend always packing one easy-to-roll-up long skirt and shoes to go with it. Shoes have been the bane of my travel existence, especially when I was going on Rotary International trips with my husband. Good Lord, everyone wears a different cocktail dress every evening. That meant a lot of shoes and and jewelry. Well, now I'm down to just three pairs of shoes when I travel. One for walking, one for leisure, like flip-flops in warm climates or uh, sandals or warm slippers in, in cold weather, and one nice pair. And I leave the jewelry at home. Oh, here's another tip. There's a difference between your electrical small appliances, like your hairdryer, and your electronic appliances or devices, such as your computer or your um, uh, phone or your hair curler, which I learned the hard way. I blew up a hair curler because I thought it was electric, and I used a, a converter, and um, it turned out it was electronic, and anyway. So you may need a voltage converter, which changes from our 110 to 220, which is what it is most where everywhere else in the world, and a plug adapter. Um, but you can do the research on it. Just know the difference between your electrical and your electronic devices. Okay, here's what is seldom told you about packing. You've all heard heard about rolling things and, um, oh, I don't know, color coordinating and using a little packing boxes and so forth, um, which I don't. But really, if you forget something, you can find just about anything you want anywhere in the world, unless you're going to some really remote location on your own, and, and you're probably not going to do that anyway. Uh, I, I've traveled solo independently with with my husband and a few times with a friend independently, and less often both solo and accompanied on a tour. And I have gone on tours, and, and some have been worthwhile, no question about it. Um, going to Iran has to happen on a tour. I've also lived abroad, both for work and pleasure, in four other countries. And as good as a travel partner as my husband was, I still prefer traveling solo and independently, going where I want to, when I want to, focusing on what I want to see and do, and most importantly to me, making connections with locals, people connecting with 
people who live in that country and are part of that culture. In fact, my blog is called Senior Solo Sojourner, though it's mostly about my year and a half living in France. To sum it up, traveling solo independently comprises, yes, some loneliness, but no compromises and lots of rewards. I'm a traveler, not a tourist. I travel not so much to see sights, but to try to learn about, understand, and connect with another culture. I seldom have my picture taken, or much less take a selfie, to show I was here, but rather take pictures that represent what I saw, felt, or learned during my sojourn. Now, you can be a traveler and not a tourist while traveling with a partner, which definitely has some advantages. But if the two of you are not in sync, it can be a disaster. Even when when my husband and I travel together independently, we need a time apart to spend it as we wished individually. Made for good dinner time conversation too. So if your idea of traveling is to take a cruise, fine. I took a Mediterranean cruise on a big ship and I hated it. Just a big luxury hotel that aside from probably being a petri dish for all kinds of diseases, It was all about food, shopping, and entertainment with brief guide-led walks at the ports of call that gave us only a superficial exposure to the actual foreign country in which we were standing and also clogged the sidewalks and drove up the prices of mass-produced souvenirs. However, I did love the Nile River cruise I was on, a much smaller riverboat. I took a tour on which I made three friends, also women traveling solo. All three were married, are married, uh, and uh, but they were traveling solo, two together, one alone. The four of us got together every evening for a glass of wine about five and then dinner and shared our days with each other. It was delightful. Also, I am not a major adventure traveler nor a particularly physical traveler. You're not going to find me bicycling through the Himalayas or deep sea diving off Madagascar. I'm more of a cultural traveler. I'm fascinated with how other people live. I want to learn as much as possible about their history, religion, customs, society, and people versus government. I don't go on vacation and I visit historic sites with curiosity. I read a lot about my destination, and when I'm there, I do ask a lot of questions. And if I'm on a tour, the tour guides love me, while the other tourists, uh, not so much. (laughs) If I'm on a tour, I keep itching to get away from it, to find the locals, to talk with them, to learn what their normal is. I always learn at least how to say hello, goodbye, please, and thank you in the native language. When I travel solo and independently, I walk a lot, if possible. I spent six hours one day just walking the streets of Barcelona, marveling at the architecture. Of course, I do stop for a cup of coffee or wander into a bookstore. I try to get off the beaten track. I strike up conversations to the best of my linguistic ability with vendors, shopkeepers, salespeople, taxi drivers, anyone who can give me insight into what being of X nationality in Y country means. Yes, I look for souvenirs and indeed always a fridge magnet, 
but I try to get a sense first of what the national handicrafts are, and then I try to find the most authentic and affordable, and particularly an item that has some kind of meaning for me. When I go home, I want the story that goes with the artifact, not just the object. I'm never as frustrated when I travel as when I'm kept apart from the locals. While I definitely enjoyed my Nile River cruise, which by the way was run by a company with whom I've traveled a few times, and I do recommend it, it's called Smart Tours, 1T, S-M-A-R, capital T-O-U-R-S. <clears throat> so anyway, I was stunned by what I ever overheard one man say at the airport as, as we were, were leaving, and he happened to be have been on the same tour as I'd been. And I heard him say, I'm never coming back to Egypt again. I was startled and, and I inserted myself into his conversation and I asked, why not? Oh, those Egyptians are terrible, he declared. Well, I was puzzled. What Egyptians, I asked him. We didn't meet any. Oh, those people selling souvenirs at the pyramids, he answered, pestering us all the time with their one dollar, one dollar. I just shook my head. He definitely was not a traveler. If he had been, he'd have known that pesky vendors at tourist sites are everywhere in the world. They do not constitute the sum total, much less a representative sample of the national population. But I'll bet he went on to tell the folks back home he'd done Egypt. All of my most memorable experiences, and, and people who know me know I have a lot of stories, involve interactions with locals. Sex outside of marriage with a fellow wedding guest in Ethiopia. I'd never met him before. Religious beliefs versus atheism and cultural restraints on artistic expression in Bali. Man-woman relationships in Tunisian Muslim society. Government corruption and civil war in Lebanon and so forth. I've always remembered a very sophisticated test I had in high school the teacher had one question, this was social studies, for us on the exam. Why do Russians behave like Russians? And then he left the room. We had to write for that hour on everything we had learned about Russia. Its history, economics, traditions, geography, politics, etc. That would in fact define what it meant to be Russian. That's what I try to learn when I travel. I have four traveling philosophies. One, you have to be somewhere in 15 hours, so if you can afford it, you might as well be there. Two, if locals are still there, go. If they're fleeing, don't. Three, always talk to strangers. And four, always talk about sex, religion, and politics. That's all people care about. Well, by sex, I mean relationships. If I'm planning on going somewhere where getting out to meet the locals might not be either possible or advisable, then the second best option for me is to get to the destination on my own, make my own lodging arrangements, and then hire day guides. They're locals and they'll talk to you, answer your questions, and see that you get much more of the genuine local flavor than will an organized tour guide. I always try to make the most of lunch. The, probably the biggest downside of traveling solo independently is dinner. 
it can be a real challenge. Most people, myself included, don't feel comfortable going to a restaurant alone for dinner. So I'll often make my main meal lunch, bring a book, and start up a conversation with someone if I see he or she appears so inclined. It doesn't have to be lunch. I do the same when I stop for afternoon coffee or tea. But lunch is how I met Lenaik at a restaurant in Lyon, France, and we not only struck up a conversation, but I got to visit an African artifact museum that I never would have seen on my own. Plus, we formed a friendship that continues to this day, although mostly on Facebook now. It's how I learned about the odd financial arrangement between servers and restaurant owners in Malta, how I met a couple in Ghana whom I later visited in England and who took me punting on the calm, how Australian and New Zealand men buy a young woman's company for a week in Thailand. Thailand. Well, I was actually with my husband for that conversation, but I started it and on and on. I have found there is always an opening for a conversation if you look for it and want to take advantage of it. That looks good. What is it? Pointing to what the other person is eating. And then, do you ever make it yourself at home? Is that a traditional dish here? Is this the best place for it? I met Lenaik because she was sitting at a table next to me alone working on an abacus. Well, of course, that was a conversation opener. I met Yasmin, from whom I learned about boyfriend-girlfriend relationships in Muslim Tunis, because she was eating a delicious-looking ice cream and coffee dish. And when she called over one of the servers, she kissed him on the cheek, and it turned out he was her boyfriend. Well, that was another opening. Of course, you have to be uh, able to read the signals. Perhaps the person to whom you direct your comment wants to be left alone. He or she or I <laughs> will make that readily apparent. In my years of traveling, though, I have found many more people are willing, indeed enthusiastic, to engage with me, an American, than to rebuff me. All right, so what if you've never traveled solo and then you think you might want to start? Well, of course, there are many tour companies that can take you pretty much wherever you want to go. Most do add at least $500 for a single supplement. That means your own room and bathroom. <clears throat> Though they will often match you with a roommate, someone you don't yet know, if you don't want to pay the extra. I, however, do pay extra. There are tours to match your interests, your age, your gender, and all your partnership status. The pros of this kind of travel are you won't be alone and you might even make a friend or two or more. Everything is arranged for you, including the handling of your luggage. The cons of this kind of travel are you won't be alone and your travel companions may not be to your liking. You won't be free to go where and see what you want when you want. If you're curious and ask too many questions, it may annoy or indeed alienate your travel companions. You'll only get a very superficial exposure to the new country. You won't meet locals, and you may be pushed to buy things you don't want to buy. On the other hand, you'll have to pack lighter as you'll be responsible for your own luggage when you travel independently, and that can be a real challenge when there are stairs. So, for example, when I arrive in Paris by metro, <clears throat> 
excuse me, or arrive in Paris and then have to take the metro. There are a lot of stairs in the Paris metros. So I've learned to play the uh, poor, helpless, older woman card as often as I can, and it always works. Somebody always carries my bag up or down for me now. <laughs> Most importantly, though, if you take a tour, it's unlikely you're going to grow your spirit or enrich your soul as much as you will if you travel independently. So, if you're up for going solo independently, which I obviously encourage, here are some recommendations. Start with a short trip, a week to 10 days, oh heck, maybe even a long weekend, someplace nearby like Canada, to somewhere where language isn't an issue, like Canada. Have a plan. At the very least, book your lodging ahead of time and know how you're going to get from your arrival airport to where you're staying. Take some US dollars, that's ones, for tipping because they'll be accepted just about everywhere. But you can get cash in the local currency at ATMs and they're in every major airport and city. Choose where you stay for comfort and accessibility. I always go for three stars. I don't need the accoutrements of an upscale hotel. I want certain amenities, but I am not going to be spending a lot of time in the marble lobby with the fountain. <clears throat> Do your research ahead of time and not just a travel guide. Know something about the history and culture of the people who live there. Understand that their country is as dear to them as yours is to you. And what's normal for you isn't necessarily normal for them. Learn a few key phrases if you're in a country whose main language is foreign to you. Um, and that also includes English-speaking countries. The English, Irish, Scottish, Australians, and New Zealanders all have expressions that will sound foreign to you not to mention accents that will leave you wondering, are they really speaking English? Walk, get lost. Be sure you have good walking shoes. Get off the beaten path. You will find unexpected treasures, I promise. Alternatively, public transportation. Buses for seeing the sights, metro for getting somewhere faster. Now, I know this sounds touristy, but I actually love them. Those hop-off, hop-on city bus tours. They're a great way to get an overview of a city and help you decide where you might want to return to and spend more time. Be impulsive, say yes, but also use common sense. Your life experience will tell you if something doesn't feel right. You do have an inner voice. Pay attention to it. Ask locals for recommendations. Once when my husband and I were driving somewhere in France, he, who does not speak French, asked the gas station attendant where we might find a good restaurant. It was one of the best meals and one of the loveliest settings we'd ever had. Same thing when I was on a tour in Turkey. I suggested to a few others as we sat at the group dinner table eating a very uninspired meal that we cut out and look for something more authentic. Walking along a main street, I stopped a local, asked for a recommendation, and this is in Istanbul, and we ended up in a fabulous Kurdish restaurant we never would have known about otherwise. However, if you're on a tour 
and you're staying at a four or five star hotel, there will be a big breakfast buffet and you can certainly take advantage of that. But if you're on your own, you can have a continental breakfast at your lodging or wander and find your soon to become go-to cafe. Speaking of uh, carrying things, I was talking before about uh, luggage. I make several copies of my passport and I never carry the original when I'm out and about. I put copies in my luggage, uh, one in my purse, and leave one on the kitchen table at home as well as make sure my next of kin has one. As for the original, I tuck it away somewhere in my room where it's unlikely anyone will find it, which is why I prefer an Airbnb stay or previously a, a bed and breakfast or a pension or an inn or whatever small establishment you're staying at, um, but somewhere where no one is going to be coming into the room. By the way, in a hotel, I never use the safe, and this is why. I once did use the safe, but I forgot the combination. I went to the front desk, and a hotel employee easily opened it from the back with a couple of keys. Okay. So, to sum up, go. Be a traveler, not a tourist. Become part of this incredible globe of billions of humans, many, many of whom are eager to share with you a secret we travelers know. We're all much more alike than we are different. And a smile is really the only language you're going to need. Well, except for, uh, where's the bathroom, please? Have a great week. You have been listening to Woman Worthy, real talk about real issues for women over 60. Tune in wherever you receive your podcasts with new episodes every Monday morning. You can leave your comments by downloading the Podbean app to your device and on the Woman Worthy Facebook page. I'm Paulette Lee. I hope you found this program worthy of your time.